January 29, 2020. I was in my last year of university and I had just got my first full-time job offer. I was about to graduate in three months and I was ready for the next phase of my life. So I did what any responsible aspiring adult would do. I put together a budget. I called it my personal finance adulting budget. And so I had everything in there. I had how much money I was making every month. I had how much I'll be paying in taxes. I even had things like my monthly rent, gym membership, even had transit pass in there. Okay, so I know how much money is coming in. I know how much money is going out. How much money do I even have right now? Okay, so I log into my online banking account, click on the bank statement, click on the bank account, download the bank statement, and the number, the number that I saw shocked me. $65,000. Don't worry, don't worry, you don't have to get jealous. That's not how much money I had. That's how much debt I had in student loans. Okay, you're gonna say, Tommy, well, it's not all about you. Okay, it's not about me. Take me out of it. The average student graduates with twenty. The average student with, the average student with loans graduates with, the average student with loans graduates with twenty. The average student with loans graduates with twenty eight thousand dollars in debt. How did we create a society where, you're about to enter the first, you're, how did we create a society where as you're about to enter adulthood, instead of you starting at at least zero, at least zero, the average student is starting twenty thousand dollars behind the starting point. How do we create a society where for the first time ever in modern history, people have, students have, you, the, how do we create a society where for the first time in modern history, the average young person has a 50% chance of making less money than their parents? How do we get to that point? In order to answer that question, I'm going to take you on a journey of our education system. The past of education, the present, of where we currently are, my solution for the future and how we can fix this problem. Come along for the ride. Universities are some of the world's oldest human institutions. Dating all the way back to the University of Bologna in Italy, which was founded in 1088, and they have the University of Oxford, which was founded in 1096. This means that universities are older than most countries. Look at Harvard. Harvard was founded in 1638. If you've done history class, you know America was founded in 4th of July, 1776. This means that Harvard is 138 years older than America as a country. Same thing, exact same thing happens in Canada. You have Laval, founded in 1663, McGill, 1821, and University of Toronto in 1829. All three of those universities were founded before Canada. And again, if you were paying attention in history class, you know Canada was founded on July 1st, 1867. Final example, National University of Singapore, NUS, founded in 1905. Singapore wasn't found until 60 years later, August 9th, 1965. So what did this mean? Think about it. This means that all these universities thought it was more important to start a university before they started a country. Think about it. This means that all these countries thought it was more important to start a country. Think about it. This means that, think about it. This means that all these universities thought it was more important to start a university before they thought to start a country. And you can search this up for other countries too. It's pretty remarkable how strong this pattern holds for a lot of countries. Now, why am I telling you all this? The first reason is I want to show you how you how universities are to highlight the fact that universities... So the first reason I bring this up is that I really want to bring up universities' age to highlight the fact that universities were first born from a time when, you know, education and knowledge was a finite resource. So unlike in present day where knowledge can be thought of as oxygen and it's infinite, infinitely distributed through the, um, through the internet, universities were found in a time when they had a distribution problem. I call it... This was back when knowledge was bottled good. So I have knowledge and you want to get my knowledge. 
the only way for you to get that knowledge is for you to bring your own bottle of brain and I pour my knowledge into your knowledge bottle and that's how we share this knowledge. And then for really old universities like University of Bologna or the University of Oxford, these were founded, so remember when I said the University of Bologna was founded in 1088, Oxford was founded in 1096. The Gutenberg printing press wasn't invented until the 1440. So these means that some universities were around before books even existed. So back to the bottle knowledge good um, example, this means that any knowledge that wasn't distributed, any knowledge that I didn't pour into other people's brain before I passed away was gone forever. The second reason why I want to bring this up is to show you how deeply ingrained the idea of university is to our human consciousness. So, you know, for example, you think about companies, right? Companies like Kodak Eastman that, you know, people thought was going to exist forever, and now they're pretty much bankrupt, a shadow of their former self. Or countries, you start, start with the Roman Empire, the former Soviet Union, Yugoslavia. These are countries that people thought would exist forever, and now they're no longer here. And the same way, too, a lot of people think that universities are going to exist forever. But just like companies pass away and countries pass away, universities and the way we think about it can pass away as well. Now, I'm not calling for the end of universities. Universities are great. And I'm going to talk to you. You know, I, I went to university. I actually had a good experience. But I do think it's time for us to fundamentally rethink the role that universities play in our society. Fast forward to 2020, present. What do universities do? Fast forward to 2020 and the world has changed. So we need to really ask ourselves, what exactly do universities do? Now, this is actually a fairly tricky question to answer. This is actually a fairly tricky question to answer because humans lie and pretend. And not only do we lie and pretend to other people, Scott Hansen or Robert Hansen, Robin Hansen, Now this is actually a fairly pernicious answer. Now this is actually a fairly tricky question to answer. Now this is actually a fairly tricky question to answer. Now this is actually a fairly tricky question to answer. Because not only do humans lie and pretend to other people. Scott Robert Hansen, now this is actually a fairly quick now this is actually a fairly tricky question to answer. Because humans, we lie and we pretend. And to make this problem even more pernicious, Robert Ant Hansen in his book, The Elephant in the Brain, says that not only, not only, and to make this problem even more pernicious, Robert Hansen in Elephant in the Brain says that not only do we lie and pretend to other people, we lie and pretend to ourselves. One of the biggest lies we tell is that university is about education. University is about going to university for any, one of the biggest lies we tell is that university is about education. Going to university for an education is like going to the club because you like the music, which is to say, it's not necessarily a lie, but it's an incomplete truth. Scott Galloway, Brian Kaplan, and Robin Hansen say that there's actually two real reasons, additional reasons why we go to university. And I'll add a third one. Now, there are dozens of reasons why people go to universities, but these are the four main ones. Signaling. Look at me. I'm smart. I went to Stanford. And you know I'm smart because only 4% of people get in. Credentialing. One second. Trust me, I'm an engineer. You know I'm an engineer because I went to a school that gave me this iron ring. Trust me, trust me, I'm an engineer. I know what I'm talking about. You know it's true because I went to a school and they gave me this iron ring. Networking, or as I like to call it, invite-only hinge. 
And for those of you who don't know what Hinge is, Hinge is basically a dating app. And in a lot of ways, I think of university as an invite-only dating app. Just like the same way dating apps are for romantic relationships, though, universities are for platonic, professional, and romantic relationships. People want to marry. People want to marry, be friends with, and work with people that have a similar socioeconomic and ideological background as them. And university is one of the best places to meet those kinds of people. You know, university is probably the greatest social experiment ever. University is probably one of the greatest social environments in the world. You know, it's a great place where you're going to meet new people, some of the best relationships you're ever going to make, and some of the strongest relationships that are going to last you the rest of your life are going to be there in university. So university is really good at that, those three things, especially the networking, which I think is a huge benefit. And only when, only after credentialing and signaling, and only after when signaling, and only after when signaling and credentialing and networking have been met, then, and only then, do we think about education. Now, that's not to say necessarily that education is the least important part of a university, but I do think it is the most commoditizable. And of course, there's also research as well, which I won't go into too much today because this is most... Interestingly, this isn't to say that education is the least important part of university, but it is the most commoditizable. So the idea that edu university by education is a myth. And Brian Kaplan says it beautifully when he says that if we're really going to university for an education, how come you have to swipe to get into the gym, but no one swipes to make sure... How come you have to swipe before you can get into the gym? You know, Brian, you know, Brian Kaplan has a beautiful... Makes a be has a, you know, Brian Kaplan makes a beautiful... And Brian Kaplan has a beautiful line where he says, if university is really about education, how come you have to swipe before you can get into a gym, but you don't have to swipe before you can go into a lecture hall? Today, I'm going to propose that university gets out of the education business and focus on what they do best, signaling, credentialing, and networking. Today, I'm going to propose that universities should, you know, today I'm going to propose that universities should get out of the education monopoly business and focus on what they do best, signaling, credentialing, and networking and open the gates of education and let students go and get the most affordable and highest quality education available to them. There was a popular meme going around, future, solution, open the gates of education. Future, solution, open the gates of education freedom. There was a popular meme going around at the beginning of the school year, which was basically comparing um, Harvard tuition to the price of other streaming services like Netflix, Disney+, Hulu, etc. Memes are really misunderstood because a lot of people think that memes are just jokes and it's just for fun. But I think that millennials and Gen Z, our generation, we actually use memes as a coping mechanism, sort of like a gallows humor, as a way to deal with really, really sensitive topics that, we, that affect us in our lives. In other words, you know, we can't cry about it, so you sort of make memes to sort of poke fun at something that's kind of sad, but we use, laugh, we use humor as a coping mechanism. Make no mistake about it. And that... You know, I think I think memes are very mis, memes are a very misunderstood aspect of communication. A lot of people think memes are just about jokes and joking around and having fun, but I think memes, millennials and Gen Zs, our generation, use memes as a way to talk about really really sensitive topic in a humorous way. It's almost like gallows humor, right? We can't laugh about it, and a lot of times you can't change some of these things, so we just use memes as a way as a coping mechanism. And but make no mistake about it, these are very serious issues. For example, between 1990-2013, between 99, but make no mistake about it, these are very serious and very real issues. But make no mistake about it, 
These are very serious and very real issues. For example, between 1990 and 2013, the average price of tuition increased by 100 and some. But make no mistake about it, these are very serious and very real issues. For example, but make no mistake about it, these are very serious and very real topics. Between 1990 and 2013, the price of tuition rose by 179%. In the same time period, the average hourly wage in the same time period, the average hourly rate, average hourly rate, average, average hourly wage, in the same time period, the average hourly wage increased by only 15%. This means that tuition increased 10 times more than how much than the rate at which people were making more money. This means that the cost of tuition was 10 times greater. This means that the increase in the cost of tuition was 10 times greater than the increase in how much money people were making. Does that seem fair to you? Does that even make any sense? So I recreated the Harvard meme comparing Harvard to some really popular online courses like Udacity, Coursera, and edX. Now, this graphic is not an apples to apples comparison. You know, as I explained in the appendix, and you know, you shouldn't only be looking at the sticker price when considering an education. And let's be honest, if you have the opportunity to go to a great school like Harvard, you're not gonna be like, well, you know, I'm paying this much for Harvard, but I could do it online at Coursera, I could do it at edX. They have a very good brand. Of course not, what you're paying for is the brand and the people you'll meet. So really we're all just pretending that the cost of your, really we're just pretending that the cost that we're, what we're paying for is education. But really what we're paying for is what I call a brand tax. More specifically, as you can see, only a third of what you're really paying for is the education piece. The two-thirds is the brand tax. So as you can see, pretending is a very profitable business. By the way, this graphic is too is only for a master's degree. I can't even find anything for a bachelor and undergrad degree. And I think if it, by the way, this graphic is for a master's degree. I can't even find a bachelor's degree. And I think if I had found a bachelor's degree, it'd probably be even more expensive. So I say, let's stop pretending and let's unbundle, and let's, so I say, let's just stop pretending and let's unbundle. Which is why I say, let's stop pretending and let's just unbundle college to borrow a phrase from Wexwordbury. I think that universities should focus on being a place where adolescents can go to move out of their parents' house, move into a dorm room, experience the beginnings of adulthood, meet friends, meet a, meet a future spouse, but in terms of education, there should be no reason why there should be no reason why universities have a monopoly on credentialing education. My idea is very simple. Students should be able to go to a home university and take at least one course there. And while maintaining their full-time or part-time status, they should be able to go to take courses at any other school that's accredited. Every university would have a flat tuition fee that students would pay, and then the rest of their course load would be um, per, per rata, which is basically per course. So for example, in my, my, in my final semester, I took 10 courses, my tuition was about $21,000, plus 1,470 in fees. So really, I should just pay the 1,470 in fees, and then the 20,000 I pay would be divided by the tuition cost. So for example, I might take my engineering design course at Western, but maybe I wanna take calculus at, maybe there's a really good calculus professor at University of Alberta, or maybe I realize, you know what, I can just teach myself calculus, I'm gonna just take that course on Coursera, while maintaining my full-time status and while keeping my engineering accreditation. That's it, that's the tweet, that's the idea, it's literally that simple. 
But of course, there's going to be a lot of objections. So let's go for them in more detail. People are going to say, can I really say I attended X university if I only really took one class there? Of course you can. Think about it. Uber is a taxi company that doesn't own taxis. Airbnb is a hotel company that doesn't own hotels. Shopify is an e-commerce company that doesn't own any stores. I think universities could be. I think universities could still be great institutions for higher learning without actually having to focus on or make without actually having to make their primary business teaching students. Same way, I think that universities can be institutions of higher learning without necessarily having to be the only places where students learn. Because guess what? It's already happening anyway. Everything would still be the same, you know, you'd still, you know, play on a varsity soccer team, you'd still join intramural volleyball, you know, fall in love at the library, meet your future spouse at the gym, you know, maybe you're part of an ethnic minority student association, you'd still participate in the dances, everything would be the same. It's only when, you, the only difference would be that when it's time to say, I have to go to class, you would take calculus in one, one university, maybe you'd take English in another university, you'd take economics in an online course, but everything else would still be the same. And then maybe if you have like a design class or a group project or a, prof or a class that really has to be done in person, you could do that in person too. So everything else would still be the same. It's just that where you get educated would be global. But where you get educated would be on the internet. And we not have to be bound by what school you go to. Another really benefit of this, I think, is intellectual diversity. So I was fortunate enough to go to one of the top business schools in Canada. And, you know, one of the benefits of going to a good school is that, you know, the profs are excellent, the resources are really good, the administrators are great, my students, my friends, my classmates, very smart, very nice, very driven people that motivated me. But there is a problem, and there is a but, and you knew the but was coming. We all kind of tend to, th we all kind of tend to think the same, right? We all come from similar upbringings, we all came from similar high schools, you know, we all hung out with the only people that were like us and thought like us, and then when we go to the workplace, we're going to, and let's be honest, when we go to the workplace, when we hire people, we're going to hire people that are exactly like us as well. And, you know, we talk a lot about the echo chamber on social media, but what about the echo chambers in university? And I think part of the problem is that I only really know people that were a part of my business school, part of my program. If we had a world in which maybe I would still go to my attend my home university, but maybe I could do an online course and a group project with students from different universities across the country, I think it would really basically expose me to a wider array of people and basically open my mind and open and make me more open-minded towards different towards different people and also help me realize that you know there's a lot of smart people at other universities as well and then that way when it's time for me to make hiring decisions in the future instead of me only hiring people that went to my school or people that think like me i'll now be more open to hiring people from a wider range of programs and faculties so why would universities agree to this so potential problem is why would any university agree to this to be honest with you they might not in fact, they might fight very hard against this happening. And I don't blame them, to be honest with you, right? Like, universities have a beautiful business model right now that basically prints money. And they're going to try to protect it, which is understandable. But at the end of the day, this is not in the student's best interest. Because I believe that a lot of educators watching this video are, and you know, I'm not trying to make this out that universities are bad people, because I think a lot of educators, a lot of administrators are really earnest people that generally want, want, want what is best for students. And the reality is giving students the edge of freedom to get educated wherever they want and to say that's really affordable and get the high school. And the reality is giving students the freedom to go and find the most affordable and high school education is in the best, is in the, but the reality is giving students the freedom to get the most affordable and high quality education is in the student's best interest, period, end of story. I believe that universities should agree to this. 
I believe the university should agree to this because quite frankly, this is in the student's best interest, period, end of story. I've tried to structure this talk in a way that's not anti-universities or anti-educators because I think, again, a lot of these people enter this field because they generally care about spreading knowledge. But again, because of the business model, their hands are a bit tied. So it's a really tricky situation. I think a good analogy for this is what's called the innovator's dilemma. You look at a company like Netflix, you look at a company like... You look at a company like Netflix, you look at a company like Blockbuster. Tuitions increased, again, tuitions increased 179% in the last 20 years. Meanwhile, in the last 13... Tuitions increased by about 100... Remember, tuition has increased by about 100... Remember, tuition has increased by about 179%. Remember, tuition has increased by about 179% in the last seven years. Remember, tuition has, has increased by about 179% in the last 20 years. Meanwhile, wages have only increased by 15%. This just screams a business that's ripe for disruption. And by the way, this is already happening. Universities across the world are going out of business. So now, what I'm telling you is not what's going to happen. It's, I'm telling you what's already happening anyway. I'm not predicting. I'm just analyzing what's already happening. By the way, so that means I'm not even predicting. I'm just analyzing what's already happening anyway. And so right now, universities have a Netflix or Blockbuster moment. Do they want to try and fight against the inevitable or embrace the change and adapt with the times? Another thing is that I actually don't see this as a threat to universities. I see this as an opportunity for universities. More specifically, I see this as a threat for universities that don't give their students a good value. But I think universities that do a good job and give their students a good product, I think this is a phenomenal opportunity for them. And by the way, when I talk about product, I'm talking about beyond just a lecture. I'm talking about mental health services, you know, extracurriculars, sports teams, amenities, buildings, social events, clubs, career services. There's a lot of ways for universities to still thrive in an education where they're not necessarily focusing on education. And by the way, just because people can take a class online, there's still a lot of benefits to going to classes in person. To illustrate this example, I want to talk about some of my university professors. Professor Kwasi Rahman, Matthew Soy, Diane Laura Darjalis, Eric Jansen, Wayne Adlam, Alexander Essex, and I'm definitely forgetting some, which is why I don't like doing these lists, but these are just some of the professors, these are just a few of the professors that I've had that were absolutely phenomenal. And sometimes I think to myself, you know, it's kind of not fair that I'm the only person that can benefit from this professor's knowledge just because I attend Western University and other students don't. Why, why, if I go to University of Alberta, but there's a phenomenal professor in network security like Essex, or, 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 or for example, if I live in a Cali, way out in, the, in maybe in the First Nations Reserve, where the universities are not that good, but I want to take sustainable. But I want to. I want to learn from the best sustainable finance professor in the country, Diane Laura Darjales. I should be allowed to do so. Converse, you know. You know, word of word of mouth spreads really, really fast, and I think the the professors that do a really good job and treat their students very well and offer good education can actually probably reach more students and have a better business model than they have right now. For example, Professor Matthew Soy was probably one of the best professors I've ever had in my life. And not only did he give great accounting advice, he also gave us really good life advice as well. I really got a chance to build a relationship with him. You know, this is not the kind of thing that you can easily get. And I'm assuming maybe, you know, this is a really unique professor. But the problem is that only 75 people could take his class. That means even, in, even if you go to that university as well, but, but the problem is only people who get to benefit from that professor are people that went to Western. 
you know, what if there's a fantastic student that maybe lives, what if there's a fantastic student that lives in Alberta and probably would have been able to get into Ivy, but, you know, for whatever reason, maybe their family didn't have the money or maybe they couldn't move, you know, they have to go to Professor University of Alberta. And maybe the Professor University of Alberta is great, but they want to take Matthew, Professor Matthew Soy. That student should have the right to go to that, that student should have the right to take Professor Soy's class. Why deprive a student from a bet, why deprive the students from the best universities and the best professors available to them? Simply because of geography. Especially because of COVID, we're all, especially because of COVID, we're all on the internet now anyway. Or you know what? Maybe it's not even about picking the best professor. Maybe it's about saving money. And that's okay too. For example, let's say I want to take calculus and I realize, you know what? I've looked at the syllabus. I've looked at past exams from last year. I've talked to my friends. I've talked to my, you know, my classmates and I've taken the course before in the past. And they said, you know what? You can honestly just teach yourself that class. And I realized, you know what? I'm working a lot of jobs. To, you know, I'm working a part-time job to help myself. You know, and you know what? I'm working a part-time job to help me, help me pay my way through university. Money's kind of tight right now. I'm just trying to save money. I just want to do an online course. I just want to, save, I just want to look for the cheapest course possible that's accredited. And you know what? I have a right to do that as well. I have a right to save my money if I want to. And so it's, so it's a dual mandate. You can both save money and you can try and find the highest quality education available to you. Made up reasons why it won't work. You know, the past 12 months, you know, the pandemic and all of the social things happening in society has been really tough for a lot of us. But I think we've learned something very interesting from all this stuff that's happening. We've learned something very interesting from all this stuff that's been happening, which is that a lot of the rules in our society are just made up. Think about it. Think about how many professors, think about how many, think about it. Think about how many courses, how many programs, how many jobs, how many companies said that, how many concerts, how many, how many restaurants said that they would never do X or they would never do work from home and they would never do remote. Sure enough, four months, six months, eight months in the pandemic, people have adapted. So the same way people are saying that, you know, my iron ring is a perfect example of this, right? At the beginning of the pandemic, they were saying that, you know, iron ring is very solemn, it's a very sacred tradition that has to be that works best in person. And sure enough, eight months in the pandemic, we did everything over Zoom and my iron ring was shipped to me. Similarly too, universities will make up a lot of reasons why this canon cannot work. Some of them will be legitimate criticisms, but again, a lot of these reasons will be made up. So let's go through them one by one. So like I said, most educators are earnest and they most educators most educators generally want to do what's best for the students. But it's very difficult disrupting your own business model. And so because of this, I think a lot of universities are going to put up a lot of artificial barriers and tricks that prevent students from getting the education freedom they deserve. Now, universities have all the leverage, so there's actually not much, and I'm not even sure the best way for us to combat them. But I'm hoping that by me at least raising awareness about this, it'll help us make it'll make it more difficult for the universities to get away with these tricks. And it'll give us more power to combat it when we encounter it. Like I said, like I said, most educators are earnest and want to do, and gen, like I said, most educators are earnest and genuinely want to do what's best for the students. However, because this involves disrupting the business model, people's hands might be tied and not everyone's going to be on the same page. Some people are going to put up a lot of artificial barriers to make this difficult for students. Now, Universities have all the leverage in the situation, quite frankly. So there's not much recourse of what we can do to prevent it. But I'm hoping that by me preempting and telling guys some of the tricks they're going to play in order to prevent this from happening, maybe it'll make it more difficult for them to get away with it and give us a bit more power. You know, so, so like I said, universities have all the leverage. And quite frankly, I'm not really sure what we can do when they have all the leverage. But my hope is that by me at least preempting 
and telling you guys about some of the tricks that they're going to do beforehand. It'll make it more difficult for them to try it, and then hopefully we can raise more awareness about this. One, course obfuscation. This is when professors will try and pretend like two courses that are pretty much, pretty much, pretty much the same are completely different. Consider how many conversations like this have happened before in the past. Um, excuse me, academic services. Yeah, I was wondering, I'm going to be back home for the summer and I'm taking this course and I'm going to be back home for the summer and there's this university right by my house that's offering the exact same course and I was wondering if I could just take it over there instead and then get an equivalent credit. Hmm. Let me think about it. Let me see those two courses. Oh, no, 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 no. This is no good. This is no good. This is introductory calculus. We offer introduction to calculus. It's an easy mistake to make, but they're very different. Um, but like, no, I'm literally looking at them right now and like the syllabus is more or less the same. Even the past exams are the same. Well, I can't give you education freedom because if I give you education freedom, then I have to give everyone education freedom and we can't have that. Your education is very important to us. By the way, I'm not saying this to pick an academic advisors. You know, these are people that are just trying to do their best and just trying to do you know, these are people that are just trying to do their best. They're just doing their job and they're just following the rules. They're trying to do what's best for the university. But that doesn't change the fact that this, this at the end of the day, ends up hurting students the most. But the reality is, at the end of the day, putting up such walls ultimately ends up hurting students the most. Price obfuscation. So what's the university going to try price obfuscation. So what's some, what's some universities of price confusion? Price confusion. Price trickery. So what's some universities are going to try and do is they're going to say, okay, we'll charge you per course, but what we'll do is we'll make the university fee $20,000. And then you can take each course for $5. So then you pretty much have to take all your courses from your home university. So one way to get about one way to get around doing this is by just making maybe having a mandate that no university can increase the tuition or the or the university cap fee by more than a certain amount every year. Or you can say all universities have to offer a base rate home university fee, and then different universities can basically change and charge tuition based on different programs. Or you could set a cap on you know maybe what the university home fee can be. Again, universities have complete leverage in this situation. So again, I'm not really sure how to go about doing this, quite frankly. I was even thinking like, so there's not really much we can do except for just raise awareness, spread the word, and let people know about what some of these ideas are. So like I said, universities have all the leverage in the situation, and I've been asking myself, well, what can we do when they have all the leverage? You know, what can we do when universities have all the leverage? And quite frankly, I'm not sure, but I think that, you know, if I at least raise awareness about it, and then you guys raise awareness about it, and you tell your friends about it, Maybe we can like find a solution or we can put pressure on either the government or universities to come up with something that's more fair for students. What you can do. One of my favorite quotes is, when Aeschines spoke, they said, how well he speaks. But when Demosthenes spoke, they said, let's march against Philip. I don't want you to just watch this video and be like, hmm, Tommy what, seems like a nice guy, you know, he talks pretty well, you know, seems making, he makes a bit of sense, you know. I wish he'd trim his beard, get a line up, maybe iron his shirt, but you know, he makes sense, and then forget about this video. I want us to actually basically take action and do something about the situation that I've just talked about. So what can you do? 
you know, I'm not actually sure what the steps are for enacting social change in society, but I'm assuming that it probably involves raising awareness about it and telling more people, you know, to tell someone to tell a friend. So that's what I think. I think right now that's probably the best thing we can do. So right now, the Education Freedom Program, as I'm calling it, is just the name that I made up. It's just an idea. Right now, the Education Freedom Program is just an idea. Um, and basically, no one owns this idea. So you can share with as many people as you want. Because not only are ideas infinite, but they're also exponential. So the more people that you share with this idea, the better it gets because more people will criticize it. And then we can, and then for each, and then each time we get criticized, we can, you know, fix the idea and make it better. And then the more people that know about this idea, hopefully it'll make it more possible for us to actually get some change enacted. So here's all you need to do. Share this idea with two people. One person you know who's a student, and one person you know who works in the education industry. So for example, you can share with a classmate and a professor, you can share with the university student council professor, you can share with the vice, your president of the university, your vice president, your president of student council, anyone. There's also a, web, a website I set up called educationfreedomprogram.org, or you can email me, tommyworthededucationfreedom.org, with any ideas you have. I've also set up a set up a subreddit called Education Freedom, where if you have any ideas or you want to connect with other people that are part of this education freedom movement, check it out as well. Again, no one owns this idea. You know, I came up with the idea, but it really belongs to everyone. And we really need you to make out as many people as possible. So we, so we really just need to make sure that as many people as possible know about this idea. Um, if you are in the education industry, if you're in the education industry, we need your help. I would strongly encourage you that your next staff meeting, if you are in the education, if you are in the education industry, we need your help. I strongly encourage you. I, if you are in the education industry, we need your help. I strongly encourage you. If you are in the education industry, we need your help. I strongly encourage you to bring this up at your next staff meeting, at your next board meeting, and make sure it gets added to the agenda. And you know, you can even email me if you need some help on what to say to them or you want someone to come talk to them about give you guys some advice on how you can implement this. Let me know. And if you're a student. Talk to the leaders in your in your school. You know, you know they always say, vote for student council, vote for me, vote for me. Talk to your class rep, talk to your student council president, talk to your student services rep, whoever it is, talk to them, send them this video, send them the essay, send them the website, and ask them, how can you get this idea implemented in your school? Sharing this idea is important because unlike other resources, ideas are infinite. And not only are ideas infinite, but they're also exponential. So the more people that know about this idea, the better it gets. So share it with, so share it with as many people as possible. So let's spread this idea as far as wide as possible, tell a friend to tell a friend, and let's open the gates and give students the education freedom they deserve. Peace. So let's, so let's share this idea as wide as possible so we can open the gates of education freedom and let students get the most affordable and highest quality education. So tell a friend, share this video, share the essay, share the website, tell, or just even tell them about this idea of education freedom. So we can open the gates of education freedom and let students get ability to get so share this idea as wide as possible share the video share the essay share the blog or just the, don't even or don't even share them with or share the website so let's share this idea as wide and as far as possible so let's share this idea as wide so let's share this idea as wide and as far as possible share the website share the share the video so let's share this website as wide so let's share this idea as far as possible share the website share the video share Share this video, share the website, share the essay I wrote, share the Reddit page, or or if you don't even if or if you don't even want to share anything, just tell them about this idea and ask them what they think. Because the more people that know about this, the more likely we will. Be able to... So, tell a friend, 
share this video, share the essay, share the website, post on the Reddit page, comment, tell a friend to tell a friend, or just tell them about the idea in general. Either way, let's try and make sure as many people as possible know about the idea of giving students education freedom. Because the more people that know about this, the more likely we'll be able to, because the more people that know about this, then we'll be able to open the gates of education freedom and let students get access to the most affordable and highest education they deserve. Because then we'll be able to open the gates of education freedom and give students access to the highest, because the more, because the more people that know about this idea, the more access we'll have to a higher quality Because the more people that know about this idea, then because when a lot of people know about it, because because when a, because because when a because when a lot of people know about this idea, because the more people that know about this idea, the more we can open the gates. Because the more people that know about this idea, because the more people that know about this idea the more we can open the gates of education freedom and give students an access to high quality and affordable education because the more because the more people that know about this idea the more we can open the gates of education freedom and give students access to the high school because the more people that know about this idea so tell a friend to tell a friend because the more people that know about this idea the more we can open the gates of education freedom and give students access to a affordable and high quality so tell a friend to tell a friend, because the more people that know about this idea, the more we can open the gates of education. So tell a friend to tell a friend, because the more people that know about this idea, the more we can open the gates of education freedom and give students access to a affordable and high quality education that they deserve. Peace.